Peace, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and we're concluding our second round of pop-up episodes. So for the fellas and couples thinking about their own fertility journey, this one's for you. If you're a Match Mary May email subscriber, and if you're not, you should be, I sent you an email telling you about our next mini-series. I wanted to produce a set of episodes for the show because a number of you are expecting proposals in the next year, and I figured Jeremiah and I could talk about some trendy wedding and marriage topics together to help nurture your thinking and provoke inquiry with you and your significant other. At the end of this show, I'll share and give you more details about those episodes coming. For now, this episode will not have an affirmation or a journal segment. Welcome, welcome. We're about a month into the fall, y'all. How are you feeling? Did you enjoy this short series? Our first three episodes, cuffing season, physical touch, and intimacy were our dating and relationship content. Then we transitioned to the ladies with an episode on Inner Girl with plans to close the series with two episodes for the fellas, Masculine Archetypes, which was last week, and today's show, which is all about male fertility, or rather fertility from the male perspective. So over the summer, 2023, I shared my IVF journey from my own perspective. And in case you missed that episode, it's titled Pop-Up Number 5, Joyce's IVF Journey. Today, I have Jeremiah with me to share the male perspective on IVF. A number of you asked, and I like to deliver, so here we are. Hey everyone, glad to be back and glad to share a story that I don't think many people get to hear from at least uh, the male perspective. I really appreciate you being here and I'm gonna dive right in. So you listened to my fertility episode, yes? Yes, and watched it all the way (laughs) in real time. Fair. Um, What did you think about it? What were some of your reactions to that episode or how I summed it all up? Um, I think it brings me back to the space and place that uh, you were in and that I observed and, you know, um, partnered with you through. Um, One of the things that I think I most remember is just the level of emotion that was described as you recounted the experience, um, which I felt as well going through it. So I think that's the most, um, that's the biggest thing that I remember, a very visceral feeling as you recounted it. All right, enough about me, let's turn to you. Anyone who knows you knows that you put in hella amounts of research before you need to make a major decision, especially something like IVF. 
So how was the research process in educating yourself and in choosing a provider? There's a lot to learn upfront about fertility in general, and then the pathways that you can take um, to attempt to have a baby. And so I think it took a lot of time just for me to fully appreciate the differences between the types of fertility journeys beyond what people would call the natural way uh, that are possible. And a lot of what I was looking for was just understanding safety, to be quite honest. That that was my number one uh, concern, which which approach was the safest for you? And then which one, you know, might have the the highest success rate. But to be honest, it was really about first understanding the, the safety record and uh, what it meant to take this journey. And then fortunately through, you know, um, some benefits at, at my job, we had access to some websites that really gave strong ratings on several providers in the area. And I think funny enough, you and I landed in different areas on what was most important or what potentially should be most important when evaluating, because there's always a trade-off. It's rare that you're gonna get, you know, a rating 10 across all dimensions when you're looking someone up. And I think we had uh, differences there, but at the end of the day, I wanted to lean into what you felt like was most important to you. And so that's the choice we ultimately made um, when we chose our first provider. So um, it was really just taking my time trying to consume and learn more than anything at the beginning. And then eventually you pivot to try to choose the best best provider and and ultimately, I'm always going to lean to your preference in this type of space. I appreciate that. Um, I remember talking to a client who was considering IVF. And after going through what was our second provider, I said to her, you know, you got to feel comfortable. Make sure the person checks the boxes you want them to check. But at the end of the day, you need a really good scientist. And I didn't have an appreciation for that. And so we left our first provider and went to our second. So I hear that. Uh, did you have any concerns about IVF yourself? Any for me? Not for me. Uh, for you, always, you know, whenever there's a medical procedure um, that involves your body, which is all medical procedures, <laughs> um, there's a bit of a concern not because I thought there was a, I was less concerned about anything that could happen like physically. Um, I was more concerned about the potential emotional toll that it could take, emotional and psychological toll that the IVF process can take, especially if it doesn't work out in the first round or two. And that was very real, um, both in research and in talking to others that I come to find out had gone through IVF. That was a consistent refrain. 
And so that was more of my concern than any way it than anything, you know, how would the meds impact your your peace of or your state of mind and your emotions? And then how would the process itself going through the physical process um, impact your peace of mind? So that was my concern more than anything, but nothing really for me. Oh, man. Y'all have it so easy in this department. Okay, let's transition um, out of our heads and into our hearts. Um, how did you feel about undergoing the IVF process? And I want you to really tap into whatever feelings you feel like tapping into. Um, I'd love to hear how you felt for yourself as a male partner and your feelings about what it was that I experienced or endured? Oh, man, there's so much to unpack. I'll probably be skipping ahead as I talk about this, but I think one of the things that I did not appreciate going into IVF and then having to discover, and it really informs my answer here, um, is... When you are having a child or attempting to get pregnant in a in the natural way, there really is no there's no information overload. I didn't appreciate how psychologically draining information overload can be. And the best way to describe it is like when you're attempting to get pregnant naturally, you have sex, one day you pee on a stick and it's a yes or no. And there's some emotional aspect to the yes or no at the end. But for the most part, the attempt is actually the fun part, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's not as draining throughout. And with IVF, man, it's just, you're showing up for appointments every other day, seems like. You are, you know, getting, you specifically are getting poked every day. Um, it has to be within a window, so it constrains your social life, where you can be, when you can be there. And then every time you go, you're getting this very funnel-like estimate of, you know, starting with this many eggs and then how many eggs mature and then how many get pulled out of you and then how many get, and it's like this funnel that continuously is whittling down and you're just hoping and praying that by the end it gets to one or two, um, even though you started with 20 or 30. <laughs> and so that's a very emotionally draining process. And I didn't fully appreciate that until we went through it the first time. Um, and I think for me, you know, I, I, I did my best to compartmentalize the, the good and the bads of the updates, because at the end of the day, the final result is really what matters. And so I, I try my best to stay even in those regards, but you can't help but to be disappointed when it doesn't work out. And so that was difficult, especially as you get deeper into the rounds, right? It takes a little bit more time to bounce back and ask yourself if you're willing to do it again. Um, 
because of the, I don't know, almost like an increased level of maybe fear um, of getting another nub. Um, so that was difficult. I'd also say I never felt, not by you, but by the office, both offices, even though our second provider, I think, was more competent in their job. I honestly never felt seen by either one of them. Mm -mm. Um, and I was very, that was, I think I can use the word infuriating. Now, I couldn't do anything about it because it would just add strain on you, pressure on you um, in those moments. And I wanted you to feel like you could just dial into having to take these pills and having to take these shots without extra burden. But it was very infuriating to not feel seen. I mean, there were instances where I couldn't go in the back with you, even though I was the one administering all the meds. I remember, I mean, almost every single time when we would go, they would say hello to you. And it was like, I wasn't even there. They wouldn't acknowledge me. They wouldn't say hello. Um, when they came to get you, they'd ask for you. They wouldn't, it was like almost quite literally, I didn't feel seen. And that pissed me off greatly, to be honest, but I didn't feel like there was any um, value in making a stink about it, except for those moments where I really knew I needed to be back there to answer a question or whatever. But I'm sure there's some well-intended reasons why they lean into that approach. Um, but I don't think it's helpful for a male partner who actually wants to show up and be an active participant. Um, it gives license to someone to check out very easily, um, a man to check out very easily. And I was never going to do that because we jointly made this decision, but I didn't like that as a part of the IVF experience at all. As you know, and as many people that know me know, I have a very short tolerance for what I perceive to be incompetence. And so I alluded to like the dimensions that you can assess a a provider on one of those dimensions is what they call like administrative effectiveness, essentially like how they operate their back office, um, back office operations. When you call, is someone going to pick up your billing, things like that. And I really dialed in on that. Now we ultimately went with someone that uh, didn't rank as high there and, oh, we felt it. Uh, quite honestly, we felt it in both providers, but the first one we felt it especially. And what I think ended up being true was because that was so poor, it added more, I could see it adding more stress to you mm -hmm. because you couldn't easily get in contact with someone when we thought we were supposed to be getting contacted, we were the ones having to call and 
you know, check their information. And that just adds burden to a process that is already burdensome in many ways. So I didn't like that for you. And I, I tried to step in as much as I could to make the calls or, you know, call the med place to get the meds and make sure they're getting sent to the right time and all of those things. But um, I didn't like that for you. Uh, I was happy that I could be your administrator of the meds itself. So that was something that you didn't have to think about. And all you had to do was just show up and I would take care of it. So that was something that I felt like I was grateful for, that I was capable of doing that. Um, but to be honest, watching you having to go through some of the extra things that I didn't think should have been on your plate, on my plate, was something that um, would have loved to change if I had the power to. I think the the first provider was more less engaged with you being the male partner. And the second provider was less about engagement, maybe even intentional engagement. And they were just more matter of fact. This this is the process, this is how it gets done. We don't really need you until the end of the show. We'll see you on that day type thing. And with the first provider, I asked, you know, what is up with him feeling excluded? <laughs> like, I, I understand that most of the work, 99.8% of the work is on my body. Um, you know, but he's still here. He wants to show, wants to be present. And, you know, the answer was, um, let's see, like if I scoffed, it was like, oh, you're the patient. And when I asked again with the second provider, the answer was the same, but it was just more of a statement of fact. Well, the mama's the patient. Now, a lot of these, th a lot of these issues that center around how men show up in the world, especially when it when it comes to in relation to their female partners, I get extra sensitive to because there's so much shit talked about when it comes to men and how they show up for family, mm -hmm. black men especially, when they show up, how they show up for family, consistency, spaces that maybe they aren't fully comfortable with, but just doing it because it's your partner, it's what you signed up for, all those type of elements of critique that we endure. And then when you show up in a space and there's not a level of, well, or when you show up to do the work and then there's not space created for someone to feel included to do that work, um, it feels very, I don't know, hypocritical or or almost makes it feel like the, the critique is, I don't know, the hypocritical is the only word I can use or find right now. It might be a different one, but it's like, hey, maybe that's not, maybe they don't walk in the world day to day critiquing men like that. But the system is disempowering me when society tells me, and people like me that we aren't doing our job good enough. That's 
upsetting. Mm-hmm. Like society's telling me we aren't doing our job good enough. But then when I show up to try to do the job, the system isn't allowing me to do it in a meaningful way. You know what I mean? I, I think there's a lot of critiques or honest critiques of men, Black men, when it comes to things associated with uh, um family rights or showing up for their children when the, the the unit dissolves. But there's plenty of men that talk about how they feel disempowered in that system mm-hmm. when they're trying to show up and do their job, but then they get disempowered to try to show up for their children, in which we live in right now. And all of the critiques that we get as men um, and how we, quote, don't show up on a consistent basis, um, which may be fair, but I also think we need to start challenging some of these systems to allow for us to do so for the ones that want to. It can't just be all on us. There, there's clearly some elements of disempowering happening. Um, I've experienced it personally now um, with two different providers. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine has experienced it within the same calendar year. And we all know that um, there are many men that have this critique, and I think genuine critiques of the parental rights space. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was something just personally that um, I did not expect and uh, wasn't a pleasant part of this journey, to be honest. Was there any round, oh Lord, four rounds, was there any single round that was the most disappointing emotionally? The well, probably wouldn't have been the fourth one. So out of round one, two, or three, was there anyone that pinched you a little bit more than the other in terms of the final outcome? I think the third. The second one was pretty, we got the farthest. The second one we got to farthest, it didn't follow the numbers and it was surprising. Mm -hmm. So whichever round it was where it was actually implanted, we already knew that there was like a 50-50 toss up that it would take or not. And so I was emotionally prepared for the coin flip. Right. That other round where we had like, we went into it with like seven or eight, something like that, where the insemination happened between sperm and egg and came with like nothing after like the four days of waiting for um, four days of waiting for them to grow. That one hit hard because it just didn't follow the numbers. I, I expected that we would have had at least a few that would go on to do whatever they do after that, but <laughs> we didn't have any. And so that one pinched really hard um, and was a, a disappointment more than the others. Round three was my greatest pinch too. Largely... I mean, I I guess the numbers, I wouldn't have used that language to describe it. I think it was the round that 
instilled the most hope and we got the least out of it. We got nothing. Um, And it was also the round that I was starting to lean on. If, If this isn't it, this has to be it. And you say that, but you go into it saying, well, that's because this will be it. So this can be the last one. And then to learn that it's not and have to be faced with doing it all over again was just, it was so defeating for me. I said in my in my um, fertility journey episode that that took me the most time to bounce back from. That I think we tried again almost a year later. I needed so much time. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, love bugs. This is a good place to take a quick pause, but we will be right back to finish the conversation in just a bit. See you soon. So, Jeremiah, from my episode, I mentioned that existential peace of mind that you wanted on your journey to thinking about becoming a father. We would love to know, what did you mean by that? Oh, would you? (laughs) Y'all trying to get in all my business. Just Uh, a little. All good. Uh... So Joyce and I got married mid-30s. Joyce had already had uh, two lovely boys who were in their teenage years um, when we got married. And Joyce had always already decided to um, tire tubes. So in getting married, I already accepted that there was a potential that we would not have children of our own. It quite literally came with the deal. And so that was something that I was comfortable with. When we decided to go the IVF route, I think as it evolved and as we got into that, as we got into the rounds, one of the things after I started the process that I really wanted to say to myself is if this doesn't work out, I want to know that we gave it our best shot. I think when you walk into something like the beginning for me, specifically the beginning of our marriage, I, again, that compartmentalization, you kind of set it aside. Like, hey, this might not ever happen. I, unlike people who get married like in their 20s that are thinking about, you know, having a family and all of those things, I had a different mindset, right? I was choosing you for you and not the idea of, having uh, additional children. And so that was kind of settled in my mind. But then when you open 
a new Pandora's box. <laughs> I opened it. No, not you, but just like <laughs> oh, the general when you. One person got it. Got it. When a person, uh, when a person opens that Pandora's box within their mind, extra possibilities start floating out there, and so. Mm-hmm. When we went through the process, I still knew that we weren't in full control of being able to have the child. So I couldn't like make that the marker, but I did want to know that we tried Mm -hmm. our best. Mm -hmm. So if the season, if the sun set on this season and we walked away with nothing, I wouldn't keep looking over my shoulder and looking back at this period wondering what could have been if we did this just one extra thing, right? I didn't want that sitting on me, especially in something as impossible as, do you think you want to be a father in the future? Like some people know it for sure. And then others, it evolves over time because of the life experiences that they're having. Mm -hmm. And... I was in a season where I didn't know for sure, but I also knew that that doesn't mean I won't feel like it's something I want to do in the future. And so I at least wanted to know that we attempted to have embryos, Mm -hmm. viable embryos, so that come the day, if it should come, that we mutually want to... um, parent our own biological children, there was something there that allowed for the possibility. Um, You know, humans were interesting like that. Like, we may never exercise a right, but we just want want the the option. (laughs) That's just what we want. Like, that's how we operate. And so this was no different. Sure. Might not ever exercise the right with you, but I wanted to know that we could if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so I think in those latter rounds, that's really what I was aiming for. Less about less about the outcome, like you want that option, but more that I can say we attempted as much as we felt like was reasonable for us mm-hmm. and that we tried to do it with the, you know, best doctors that we could. So that's really what that meant. Yeah, that I remember I hinted towards this um, in my episode, and I'm going to keep it brief. But I remember you kind of giving me all of that at our last relationship retreat. And it gave me, I still wasn't ready for the the physical impact on my body, but it gave me like a little bit of spirit, a little bit of energy toward mentally and emotionally committing to a fourth round, even though I really didn't want to do it because I really, I heard you with that peace of mind and having the right, not looking over the shoulder. Even if you're committed to not doing something again or more closely committed to not doing it than you are um, going for it again, it's hard to deny those types of feelings. It's hard to not have a level of 
of empathy and understanding just as a fellow human being. So I understand that. And I really appreciate you. You answered so thoroughly. Thank you. I don't think I've said it in this way before, but as I talk out loud, I think this is a very honest part of the answer too. Had we not gone to the degree that I felt like was enough, and I felt like I was being reasonable in trying to define what enough was, where it's like, okay, let's just set this aside. This this isn't going to work for us. Mm -hmm. Had we not gone that far, I think it would have robbed, it would have robbed the original comfort I had in knowing it was just us, it was only going to be us, and I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Because there would have potentially been this gnawing inside, mm -hmm. like, but we could have, but we could have, but mm -hmm. we could have, which is exactly what I made sure wasn't going to be the case <laughs> when I chose you in the beginning. Yeah. So um, that was really important to me I because know. it it would have taken away, I think, the most special element of the beginning of our relationship, which which was, for me specifically, which was, I am comfortable with it just being you. Mm -hmm. And when people really in investigate their relationships, that's not always the case. It's the idea of a family together or having children together or some other element. And that wasn't the case when I um, asked you to marry me. And so I didn't want that to be lost. And I think it would have had we not done that fourth round. I know another reason I put my big girl panties on, <laughs> as my Nana would say, and got it through. It just made me realize Man, we having so many epiphanies in one question, <laughs> but I don't know if I had the language for it then, and I might stumble through it now, but somewhere I, I kind of bargained with myself because when you really don't want to do something, either again or at all, but you see how much would be sacrificed or the potential of what could be sacrificed or soured by you not bringing yourself for the task, you know, it, it's a conundrum. Um, and you have real hard decisions to make. And I, I wasn't resistant. I was tired. Um, and the fatigue was just like, I don't want to have to put my body through this again if I don't have to. And I guess there is some resistance born in the fatigue now that I talk it out. But I mean, my it wasn't like my ego or my will that's like drawing this line and saying, absolutely not. So when, you, when you're not resistant in that way, you search for ways to bring yourself to the task. What story can I tell myself? What evidence in my relationship can I look for? What hope can I, you know, sink my teeth into? Because this isn't something I want to deliver a no to, to someone. I just don't want to do it again in my body. And one of the things that I said to myself that kind of helped me get there was, 
honoring the fact that you chose me just for me because that's not a lot of women's story. And somewhere in that, I found the strength to say, and I can reciprocate some of that energy. I don't even know if it's the same energy, so maybe reciprocate isn't the right word, but some level of return. Um, I can try one more time for you to have a peace of mind because in your choice to marry me in the the way that you did and all that you had to work through to bring yourself there and, and still making the decision, um, you definitely gave me a better peace of mind. So I wanted, I wanted to say I did all that I could to give it to you. So that leans right into my next question. Um, in my episode, I shared that we have two fertile babies from our last round together. And so I want to know, how did you feel getting that news? I have a part two, but I want you to answer one at a time. So how did you feel hearing that we had our two babies? Uh, happy. Um, rewarded. Mm. Rewarded. Yeah, rewarded for sure. Um, relieved. Mm-hmm. Relieved. And grateful. Mm, that's beautiful, Jeremiah. <laughs> I just knew you were going to say one, one, uh, you were going to leave out one feeling that I was going to add in, but that was the sum total of it for sure. All right. So an extension of that, how do you feel knowing we have our own genetic material to be used if we wanted to? Uh, excited. Um, that baby would be an effing rock star. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. Um, yeah, I think it's just uh, a cool thing to know that. I don't know something about. I don't know. It's very like existential type of question but i you you said something about choosing your choosing a, a story to tell yourself i can't prove this and <laughs> most people are going to say it just boils down to the science but it's a cool feeling to know that the universe has conspired to say yep you too that's the right mix for the science to work out. Oh, Jeremiah, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's cool. I like that, that the universe conspired with you. They talk about how much of a miracle simply getting an embryo is. Mm -hmm. Like how much has to happen. And... It's not a foregone conclusion. That's why the average amount of rounds is like four or five. Right. 
And so not counting however many practices you got to go through in the traditional sense to get pregnant, right? Well, so a lot of people for years it can take well yeah years. it can but yeah. usually like you know when we say four or five rounds yeah. three to six months of trying and yeah yeah so uh, yeah it just feels good that the science worked for us the science worked may the most high be praised uh so I was going to ask you, did it lean into your existential piece of uh, mind? But yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Um, that's the easy answer, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it's so funny because, as you like to say, blessings and burdens and all things. It's funny because it's like when someone's broke and they like pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for to hit the lottery. And then finally they hit the lottery. They're no longer broke, but now they got all the burdens of having money. Right. And everybody asking them for money because they know they got it, right? You're trading some new problems for old problems for new problems. This isn't a problem and I don't want to frame it that way, but I will say that um, definitely have gained the peace of mind that I've looked for, looking, that I was looking for, but now have had to work through a new set of psychological <laughs> burdens, which is what to do now. Right. So another reason why I always take things step by step and try not to look too far ahead because you'll run yourself crazy trying to game out everything right before it comes and so in this season all i was caring about was like can we get these embryos mm -hmm. and now that we got them another set of decisions but um i can say that what i was praying for and asking for asking you to take the journey with me to do that has been um, that is something I can release. Yeah. Yeah, I can release that. You can release it and I feel ridiculously fulfilled that I was able I was able to play a role in it being true for you. So million dollar question. Would you do IVF again? all over again if you had to why or why not i think there's a couple of different ways to answer that had the fourth round not worked would i have done it again or asked you to do it again no um i would have allowed that to be our best effort and made my peace with that route of parenting just not being our our calling if i knew how it was going to work out with the two and ha and was asked or forced to kind of say hey 
Those are no longer yours, but you can have them if you go through the two years again. Yes. Those two years gives me, you know, prayerfully, I'm here for, you know, at least another 50. You know how I like that. I know how you like to think. Uh, I'll be one of my years. <laughs> so, you know, those two years gives me 50 years of peace. Mm -hmm. So I would do it. I had more line of sight on what indeed is a quote unquote good man. And it is more than just being able to provide and have some of the external things that are necessary and we do want, but shouldn't be over identified in the decision making of A, is this a good man? B, is he my good man? Um, and C, by extension of that, do I think he'd also be a good father? I can say now, you know, with wisdom and a couple of, uh, I don't know, wounds, scars, that you make up the fullness of what I would kind of define and call as a good man. And so I, I believe that because that is true, I would have found it in me somewhere to be like, but he's a good man, Savannah. <laughs> Anything that you want to say about fertility, male or female, especially as it relates to the Black community? Any general or blanket advice or messaging you have for your people? Uh... I mean, we just have to be our most strong, our strongest advocate. Um, we have to be our strongest advocate when it comes to fertility. I think because I've been in this season with you, uh, I've had a lot of conversations with male friends who I didn't realize were going through the IVF process with their partners, female friends, female family that have been going through their own process. And it is not straightforward. It's not straightforward at all. Um, and a lot of it comes with us having to be our strongest advocate. And I would say to do that, you should not walk this path alone even if you are for example a woman who decides to go through a um you know egg freezing process for example uh without a partner just for your for your own peace of mind have a have a support team even with that in mind I can say firsthand it would have sucked if you had to do that on your own. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for people to have a support team because you can't predict what the physical is going to be. You can't predict what the doctor that you're working with, how good or not good they are at the science, at the bedside manners, all the things. The recovery. 
And so I think it's really important to have a support team when mm-hmm. you are dealing with anything associated with fertility, whether it's you've like explicitly and declaratively decided to walk a path or something has been hoisted upon you and you didn't realize it, things pop up. So that's, I think, my biggest takeaway and message. Have a support team, even if it's your own personal journey. Um, This is an extremely sensitive and emotional space to operate in. And I think uh, the stronger our support teams are when we take the journey, the more likely we'll come out on the other side with a sense of peace. Even if it's not how you want it to work out, at least a sense of peace because you didn't have to do it alone. Before we go, are there any tips that you would like to offer or anything you would recommend for men, especially Black men, throughout this process, there was so many things we learned about male fertility and male health and lifestyle and habits and all the things. So you know your people, you know how Black men think and what their habits are generally. Anything that you would offer as they decide if they should undergo this process or are going to begin the journey of this process? I would say if you're going to um, assess whether or not to go through this process, ask yourself as a man, are you prepared to do everything that she has to do through the cycle, except take the shots yourself? because you can't anticipate the level of support that your partner is going to need and you need to be prepared to do it all. You need to be prepared to go to the appointments. You need to be prepared to do the the shots, administer the pills, call to get them delivered, call for billing. Like if if you enter the process and you realize that your partner is physically and emotionally in a place where all they can do is focus on absorbing the medicine, then you need to be prepared, willing, and um, capable of doing everything else. And unless you are ready for that to be true, then I would caution the choice because anything short of that is going to cause some type of strain. Someone's going to be upset for what they perceive as what the other person should be doing. And at the end of the day, as men, As I say all the time, it is our job to provide coverage and to me, that is the definition of providing coverage in this circumstance. Like you have to, 
make sure that if it comes down to it, all that she has to focus on is the physical aspect and you focus on everything else. So uh, that's what I would say. And then obviously if it's a yes, tips, get educated, ask all the questions and don't be sidelined. Don't allow anyone to sideline you. Um, ask the questions, show up at the appointments, um, operate like you have a right to be there, be just as educated on the, the dosages and the medicines and what the medicines are for and all the things, the cycle, right? I've learned so much about the woman's body. Oh my God. <laughs> <sighs> Y'all are so complex. <laughs> You just got to get in there and learn and be a sponge so that uh, the most important thing can be focused on by your partner. And that's all she has to focus on if necessary. So um, be open. I've come to find out just being open with friends, like what's going on and being honest about, you know, what we're up to as a couple has revealed like four or five guys in my network that have had their children through IVF or are currently in this process themselves. And boom, what do you know? A wealth of additional information, additional support, additional perspective that I would have never had, had I not shared my own experience within my trusted circle of guy friends. So. Also be open and be honest with uh, those around you um, that you you trust and have earned your friendship because you might be sitting on a gold mine of support that you don't even realize. Um, and that was the case for me. So uh, those are some tips that I would give men. Well, Match Mary May audience, I hope that was helpful. You all said, Joyce, I love your fertility episode. We'd love to hear from Jeremiah too. And so he so graciously shared his time and experience with us. Thank you, babe. You're welcome. Hopefully it was uh, informative and helpful for your, your listeners. Our next episode is titled Churchy Wedding Vows. Jeremiah and I will discuss some altar preparation, give some brief church history and unpack the most common church tradition vows, particularly that obey word that causes so much controversy in today's conversations around marriage. If you want to share some tips you'd like to hear on the show as a preparation ground for getting engaged or becoming a wife, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot me an email at podcast at matchmarrymate.com as we plan to do this again in a few months with a new set of topics. For now, I leave you with a proverb from the Sangha people of South Africa. Good fruit comes from good seed. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers.